It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. I believe this is the right decision a wise decision, and the best decision for America. I was not going to extend this forever war. That assumption that the Afghan government would be able to hold on for a period of time beyond military drawdown turned out not to be accurate. Let me be clear. Leaving August the 31st is not due to an arbitrary deadline. It was designed to save American lives. That was President Biden. That was your president addressing the nation about what's happening in Afghanistan. He was angry, uh, angry, not so happy that he'd gotten us out of this 20-year war and wanted to, he wanted to be a hero, and it's just not quite working out that way. Uh, he said a lot of things that were very disturbing. If you watch the video, I don't think anybody, maybe New York Times, I read one like puff piece, maybe it was, was from NPR, about uh, how, you know what he said and, and the effect it was having, this great speech. I don't think most people feel it was a great speech. I think people are pretty distressed. I'll just give you an example uh, because um, this is his opening, and I want you to hear how he's framing the whole thing. This would be clip four. We completed one of the biggest airlifts in history with more than 120,000 people evacuated to safety. That number is more than double what most experts thought were possible. No nation, no nation has ever done anything like it in all of history. The only the United States had the capacity and the will and ability to do it, and we did it today. The extraordinary success of this mission was due to the incredible skill, bravely, and selfless courage of the United States military and our diplomats and intelligence professionals. So it was an extraordinary success, despite what you're seeing and despite what you, the images that you are actually able to see that are you know, being allowed out of Afghanistan. Uh, most people don't think this was an extraordinary success. Trey Yankst uh, on Fox kind of described as what was happening after the military was pulling out. And let's listen to his report, clip three. Taliban fighters fired tracer rounds into the air. They're celebrating the end of a 20-year war with the United States. With the last U.S. forces out of their country, the Taliban controls billions of dollars worth of American-made military equipment and now the Kabul airport. Some of the equipment and facilities of the military airfield have been torn down, but not all of these facilities have been destroyed. Taliban officials say they'll work to reopen the airfield to civilian flights in the coming days, but will need help from the Qataris to do so. In Afghanistan today, coffins draped with American and NATO flags were marched through the streets, a grim symbol of a new chapter of Afghan history. 
Regarding to the departure of the Americans, I must say that we do not want a foreign country to be in our homeland. We are happy that security is provided, but we need bread and water. Now begins a delicate diplomatic balancing act as the Biden administration looks to bring home more than 100 Americans still stuck in a country that in part is happy foreign troops are gone. Despite the challenges, the Department of Defense is confident that diplomacy will prevail to help save those Americans who are stranded. We are no longer on the ground in Afghanistan to facilitate that kind of safe passage, but that doesn't mean that the administration or the government uh, is going to turn a blind eye to trying to help them get home. The Taliban now faces the challenges of governing an entire country, something that could prove to be extremely difficult and will require some international cooperation. All right, so that was Trey Yangsta Fox, and he's describing, you know, they, they were draping these coffins with American flags, NATO flags, and shouting death to America. Meanwhile, we have reports that they're hanging people uh, from American planes and going door-to-door slaughtering people. But, you know, it's uh, it was a wonderful success. That's what Joe Biden has told us. I have a lot of things to tell you today, and some of them you might not hear in other places. And so just stay with me. I'll try to make it as clear as I can, and as I said before and keep saying, bring a pencil and paper. This may be, you know, you'll want to jot down. I'll try to give sources to you so that you can follow up because you may not see it on Facebook. I just don't know, you know, how much longer we can communicate. And so this is a thing that you can do while I can still tell you some of these things. All right, so uh, people, you know, Americans, John Kirby, uh, they've said to us, maybe 200 Americans left, maybe, maybe 100 you know, not not that many. And uh, also, he had a very interesting response when he was penned down about, uh, you know, getting those people that are left out. There's This is John Kirby clip two. So what does that look like? How does diplomacy get those people out of the Taliban-controlled Afghanistan? It's not completely unlike the way we do it elsewhere around the world. I mean, we have uh, Americans that get stranded in, in, uh, in countries all the time. Yeah, so you know what? It's just, you know, it's no different, and people are stranded all the time. And I can tell you, you know, it's probably true that under uh, the—no, it is absolutely true. Under the Obama administration, we left people behind all the time, except for, you know, Bo Bergdahl, who was a traitor. We went to great lengths, had other American soldiers killed and wounded, trying to, you know, bring him back and then make him a hero when he was uh, actually a traitor. But uh, real Americans, like uh, former FBI agents stranded in other countries, CIA operatives, uh, remember the kid that was in North Korea who ended up dying? Yeah, who was held in jail and tortured? Yeah, well, we didn't do anything about that. So it's true that uh, under John Kirby's, because he worked for Obama during that time, under his leadership of tutelage and Obama's um, uh, permission, they left Americans behind. So it's really not that new for them, but it is kind of new for the rest of America who believes that Americans should not be abandoned in foreign countries. And so um, I want to tell you, even even MS, even MSNBC is struggling with this. This is Richard Engel of MSNBC. And I just want you to hear, you know, remember Biden said this is an extraordinary success. Extraordinary. This was an extraordinary success. MSNBC's Richard Engel says this, clip 10. The worst capitulation of Western values in our lifetimes. You left behind. I went to Afghanistan. I arrived a couple of weeks ago. It was a republic backed by the United States, backed by the West. Now it is an emerging Islamic emirate trying to find its way. Yeah. So uh, 
Let me read something to you. I told you yesterday, uh, Mary Beth Long has gone on record now, so I'll use her name. Uh, she's someone I'm uh, acquainted with. Uh, she has been on the front lines trying to get people out. And so I read to you some of her description of what was happening and how people were, Americans were being threatened that they would be shot if they kept trying to come through the gates, and how the um, not only the military but also uh, the diplomats at the State Department, primarily the diplomats at the State Department and the Department of Defense, were re- refusing people entrance into the airport. It was a nightmare piece that I read to you, her firsthand account. And so um, that comes now, uh, the day now, I have a report from John Solomon uh, uh, and also um, Susan Katz-Keating. They wrote this together. And uh, this is what it says. In in secret texts, U.S. military officials lamented leaving Americans behind in Kabul. Uh, Let me remind you that yesterday when I read the um, piece by Mary Beth Long, she said that she's getting all kinds of, they they got all kinds of messages and phone, I don't know if it's phone calls, I'm not sure how they communicated, from Marines on the ground saying that what they were forced to do was more traumatic to them than anything that they'd ever had to do in combat. Some of them were just eaten alive because they, I, I guess the obvious uh, summation, or surmising is that they were ordered not to let American passport holders in. I don't mean a blanket order, I'm just saying. There were not a few American passport holders, holders trying to get into the gate, and they were told not to let them in. And uh, that was a, a thing that just tore them up. And so I just read, I also saw a headline this morning about how the suicide hotline is, um, you know, uh, um, veterans are calling the suicide hotline in uh, increased numbers right now. Who who could imagine such a thing? Not hard to imagine because their commander-in-chief is a traitor. And I'm going to give you proof of that in just a few minutes, okay? So, but back to the mil- <coughs> military and John Solomon's report here. President Biden declared to a puzzled country on Tuesday. This is the state where, you know, the statement, uh, extraordinary, it was an extraordinary success, just extraordinary. So he declared that while his Pentagon portrayed, you know, um, well, I'm going to skip that. But text messages between U.S. military commanders and private citizens mounting last-minute rescues tell a far different story one in which pleading American citizens were frantically left behind at the Kabul airport gate this past weekend to face an uncertain fate under Taliban rule, while U.S. officials sought to spread the blame between high-ranking generals and the State Department. We are blanking, abandoning American citizens, an Army colonel assigned to the 82nd Airborne Division wrote Sunday in frustration in a series of encrypted messages that detailed the failed effort to extricate a group of American citizens hours before the last U.S. soldiers departed. The text messages and emails were provided to Just the News by Michael Yon. Michael is a former Special Services Special Forces officer uh, who became a war uh, correspondent. I've interviewed Michael. He's a fascinating person. He's very trusted in his reporting. So this information is actually coming from Michael Yon. He was among, in this case, the private citizens working with private networks and military to rescue stranded Americans. Jan told Just the News that a group of Americans were abandoned at the Kabul airport pleading for help as military officials told them they were finished with evacuations. We had them out there waving their passports, screaming, I'm American, Jan said Tuesday. The heart-wrenching scenes unfolded this week as the U.S. military prepared to exit the capital city on Monday, leaving both the airport and most of the country under Taliban control. People were turned away from the gate by our own army, Jan said. 
After the episode ended and the Americans scattered to safe houses to avoid being captured, Jan wrote a stinging email to an Army major whose team had tried to coordinate the rescue before abandoning it. You guys left American citizens at the gate of the Kabul airport. Three empty jets paid for by volunteers were waiting for them. You and I talked on the phone. I told you where they were, gave gave you their passport images and my email and phone number, and you left them behind. Great job saving yourselves. Probably get a lot of medals. Jan's account, uh, backed by three dozen texts and email exchanges with frontline army officials in Afghanistan, stands in sharp contrast to the claims of the Biden White House that U.S. citizens would not be left behind in Taliban-controlled Afghanistan. I could, you know, drop in just for a second the Joe Biden interview with uh, 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 Stephanopoulos on ABC uh, about they had this conversation about he, we're not going to leave anyone behind. No, no, no. I think that was a week ago Sunday. No, we're not leaving anyone behind. Okay, so um, Jen Psaki, remember, said, I think it's irresponsible to say Americans are stranded. They are not. We are committed to bringing Americans who want to come home, home. That's what Jen had said. But... um. Remember, and I just played the John Kirby. He's the spokesman for the Pentagon. Uh, I just played his clip a few minutes ago where he said, well, this is not unlike, you know, Americans get left behind in countries all the time. This is not unlike what happens just all the time. Nothing to see here. Senator Ron Johnson's not having this. Uh, He uh, raised concerns in a letter on Monday to the Pentagon that Americans have been knowingly and willingly abandoned. And on Tuesday, Johnson told Just the News the text messages confirmed his worst fears and raised questions about whether the Biden administration has been misleading the public. I'm not sure what planet President Biden and members of his administration are on, but here on planet Earth, his withdrawal from Afghanistan is an abysmal failure. What we've been hearing from people working the evacuation is completely different from the administration's rosy spin. These texts confirm my worst suspicions and serve as further justification to dramatically increase the vetting process before granting refugees legal status and rights. Jan told um, Just the News I personally know and was involved in an operation two nights ago. Jan and a tight cadre tried to shepherd four American citizens. And you know what? I'll come back with that on the other side of the break. And then I have incredible information about what Joe Biden did that uh, is impeachable. Stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning. You know, a lot of times you have to choose between something high quality or something that saves you money. But if you can get both, why not? Especially when it comes to health care. And that's MediShare. You get both. The typical family saves 500 bucks a month switching to MediShare. And that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. It's because MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge PPO network. So, yeah, really, you could save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. If you're self-employed or part of the gig economy, or you just want a plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. Here is the number you need. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. 
Today, we pray for Frank Rose, Deputy Administrator of the National Nuclear Security Administration at the Department of Energy. He leads cybersecurity, workforce development and staffing, and international outreach. Galatians 6.2 reminds us of the importance of helping others, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Frank Rose in his role at the Department of Energy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Are you looking for a university that provides a quality Christian education with excellent academic and athletic programs? Well, I want to invite you to visit Liberty University, where they offer multiple visiting opportunities to fit your schedule. Plan a visit to their Central Virginia campus and stay for an afternoon, a day, or an entire weekend. You can also take a virtual tour from the comfort of your own home. Plan your visit today by texting "Go Visit" to the number 49596. Again, that's "Go Visit" to the number 49596. The hypocrisy of the mainstream media and Democrats and Never Trump Republicans is on full display these days. They have been all but silent as the president and his administration left behind American citizens in Afghanistan. They pulled out the military while our fellow citizens were behind enemy lines. They turned a blind eye when the administration handed over nearly $85 billion in advanced weaponry to the Taliban, giving them an air force that rivals some European nations. The Democrats and never-Trumpers said nothing when word leaked out that a convicted rapist had been rescued from Kabul while Americans were locked out of the airport. The president even left behind military service dogs, and there was nary a word of condemnation from anyone. President Biden has disrespected the families of our fallen heroes, abandoned his fellow countrymen, and brought shame upon our great nation. Meanwhile, if President Trump writes a mean tweet, he'll be impeached by supper time. I'm Todd Stearns. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Since March, we reached out 19 times to Americans in Afghanistan with multiple warnings and offers to help them leave Afghanistan all the way back as far as March. After we started the evacuation 17 days ago, we did initial outreach and analysis and identified around 5,000 Americans who had decided earlier to stay in Afghanistan but now wanted to leave. Our Operation Allied Rescue ended up getting more than 5,500 Americans out. We got out thousands of citizens and diplomats from those countries that went into Afghanistan with us to get bin Laden. We got out locally employed staff in the United States Embassy and their families, totaling roughly 2,500 people. We got thousands of Afghan translators and interpreters and others who supported the United States out as well. Now we believe that about 100 to 200 Americans remain in Afghanistan with some intention to leave. Most of those who remain are dual citizens, 
longtime residents who had early decided to stay because of their family roots in Afghanistan. The bottom line, 90 percent of Americans in Afghanistan who wanted to leave were able to leave. And for those remaining Americans, there is no deadline. We remain committed to get them out if they want to come out. That was, uh, wow. Remember, it was an extraordinary success. Extraordinary, extraordinary success. And he's going to tell you why. And it's their fault. Those Americans that didn't get out, it's their fault. We told them. We told them over and over again. And all the people that stayed behind, they stayed behind because they were, they had Afghan citizenship or they just didn't want to leave. We told them. So it's their fault. And our mission was an extraordinary success. So says President Joe Biden. And now let me go back to this account by Michael Yan, again, Michael's a former special services guy who became a war correspondent and, again, highly respected. And he talks about his – he's talking about, to Just the News and John Solomon, uh, his – he's involved right now with the rescues. He, had, he was up until yesterday when people got turned away. I told you they were telling Americans if they came through, if they forced their way through, they would be shot. Remember that? And I told you that Marines there are having – so much stress. They're so upset by what they were forced to do. And um, it's uh, uh, an extraordinary success, depending, I guess, on your outcome. So this is from um, Michael Yan. He says, I personally know and was involved in an operation two nights ago. In that mission, me and a tight cadre tried to shepherd four American citizens, a woman and three children, onto an evacuation flight. First, the group had to get past Taliban checkpoints and through the gate to the airport. We had Taliban, the Taliban take them to the south gate. That's how they got through the checkpoint. Once at the gate, the family stood waving passports, screaming that they are Americans. But, Jan said, American forces would not come out and get them. Uh, there commenced a series of messages and phone calls from the helper group trying to reach someone who would open the gates for the family. The helpers, and I'm sure this is probably, there's a lot of, uh, I told you, uh, um, veterans who raised money and went back in or trying to rescue people. And I have one story that's just incredible, so yeah, I'm going to tell you in just a minute. Uh, doing everything they can to fulfill their duty, the, the oath they swore to protect and defend the American Constitution and to defend their country, even without wearing a uniform officially, trying to do all they could. There commenced a series of messages and phone calls from the helper group trying to reach someone who would open the gate for the family. The helpers made contact with an army colonel who had, had, the knowledge, had knowledge of the evacuation process. In a text exchange viewed by Just the News, the colonel messaged John and others that people were being turned away from the airport. Using shorthand for American citizens, John wrote, Any, America, any AMSITs, American citizens? Yes, all of them, the colonel responded. In a follow-on text, he wrote, yes, we are blanking, abandoning American citizens. While the helper group worked frenetically to get the Americans through the gate, members texted one another to say they had seen National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan on CNN saying that neither he nor U.S. Central Command Chief General Kenneth McKenzie were told that Americans were abandoned. Hey, did they end up just taking off? One correspondent texted the helper group because the National Security Advisor just told Tapper that neither he nor McKenzie had heard anything about Americans being left at the gates. The correspondent noted that the private group heard differently from a lieutenant colonel. Given we had comms with O5 on the ground, that means CENTCOM or is blank 
or someone is lying. Text messages viewed by Just the News showed the helper group describing their efforts and failures. One man wrote how he spoke to the American mother and sent photos of her family's passports to Americans inside the airport. The Americans recognized it's her and agreed, but I've been told General Milley won't let them in. The helper group strategized on whether they should send money, how much, and to whom. Ultimately, the family did not get into the airport. We get them to the gate, and the U.S. Army completely fails this, saying, oh, we can't do it, because the Department of State tells us we can't do it. Others have reported similar situations. I have a message from Americans outside Kabul's gates who are now stranded in Afghanistan. Congressman Michael Watts, Waltz of Florida tweeted on Tuesday, it's reprehensible that President Biden's left behind Americans along with Afghans who fought alongside us but has no problem leaving our southern border wide open to anyone who wants to come in. This is the kind of insanity that we're down to. And that's, that was Michael Yon's comment, that very last uh, phrase. All right, so that's, uh, that's an article in uh, Just the News. We'll put it on our Facebook page. Uh, and uh, Mary Beth Long, um, has saying, in responding to this uh, article, says, We are communicating with the inside, but the military blamed state, and they left them behind knowingly. Now, there's more to this. I hope I can find this. Uh, there, there was another Republican member of Congress, uh, in, and he's from Oklahoma, and those of you in Oklahoma will know Mark Wayne Mullen. He's also um, a uh, veteran. And there are two stories I have of him, and I, don't, I, I can't seem to find. This is, the, this is the update. He's missing. He's missing. I know from the first article that he got out. Here we go. This, this is at least included in this article, too. He's 44. He became enraged on Monday when a U.S. ambassador refused his request to help move large amounts of money into Tajikistan for his mission to save an American mother and her four children. The ambassador told him the request would be illegal, which reportedly prompted Mullen to threaten the ambassador and his staff. Mullen has said he was planning to hire a helicopter to help the five Americans escape the Taliban-controlled country. He was flying from, well, it doesn't matter about that. Um, He said, to say this is extremely dangerous is a massive understatement. The Pentagon had previously denied Mullen's request to travel to Afghanistan from Greece last week. Many Americans were outraged when the U.S. military ended its evacuation mission on Monday while abandoning abandoning, uh, one to 200 Americans in the Taliban-controlled nation. Um, All right, so so we have a missing congressman. We have a missing congressman in Afghanistan right now. I, I didn't see that anywhere on Fox this morning. And maybe you've seen it. I don't know. Maybe I just, uh, you know, haven't watched enough stuff. But Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma, congressman, a U.S. congressman. Now, think about that and think about the danger of him being in that country, knowing who he is. Well, the danger of anyone, any American, but a U.S. congressman? Just just imagine what they will do to him. And as a matter of fact, there's an article this morning um, in the Washington uh, Tom, uh, Washington Examiner by Joel Gerke. He's the foreign affairs reporter. He says Taliban militants could use Americans who are still in Afghanistan after the withdrawal of the U.S. forces as leverage over President Biden. Stop calling them American citizens stuck or stranded in Afghanistan and call them what they are, which is Taliban hostages. Representative Mike Waltz, uh, who we've t- talked to many times from Florida, We've just handed the Taliban a mountain of leverage on a silver platter. And what does that mean? That means they be, can be captured, uh, uh, threatening to behead a congressman, 
if you don't do X, Y, or Z, the optics all over television, can you imagine? Well, you don't have to imagine it because it's not just stuff of imagination. You could probably take it to the bank that something like this is going to happen. Uh, Bill Rogio of the uh, Defense of Democracy's Long War Journal said the Taliban wants to humiliate the U.S. as it withdraws, impede the ability of American citizens and Afghans to leave, and use, then use Americans as bargaining chips to further humiliate the United States. And remember, all these leaders that have been held in Guantanamo Bay have all been released, and they're back in country in Afghanistan uh, running some of these operations. The irony is just, uh, it's not just irony, it's intentional. Irony is something that happens accidentally. This I don't think is irony. Uh, This is accidental. This is obviously purposeful. And why would I say that? And what was I talking about when I said that Joe Biden has uh, committed an impeachable um, offense? Let me tell you about it. Do you remember President Donald Trump? Anybody remember him? Do you remember that he was uh, impeached in the last month or so of his... uh, um, his time in office. Do you remember that? And do you remember why he was impeached? He was impeached because they said that he tried to, uh, he had a phone conversation with the Ukrainian president and he was trying to get them to investigate Burisma, the, the corruption of Burisma. And they said that that phone call, remember Vindman, the lieutenant colonel, kind of, uh, you know, outed his commander in chief and said that uh, it just said all kinds of things in testimony that turned out not to be true, but he's a hero from the left. He's a hero. While this other colonel uh, who is speaking out about what happened in Afghanistan and the failure of uh, leadership above him has been uh, removed immediately from his uh, post because you're not supposed to speak badly about your publicly about your commander, certainly the commander-in-chief, but Vindman, it's okay. That's an exception. That's the phone call I'm talking about where they impeached President Trump and said that he was trying to manipulate um, uh, the president of Ukraine to help himself, President Trump, be elected. And we, if you know the details of that, you know that's not true, but I can't argue that point right now. I want to tell you that Reuters has, has been given a phone call between President Biden and the uh, the Afghani president, Rouhani. Okay? It took place, uh, I think, in July. It was like, uh, let me see. It's about 14 minutes long. It was July the 23rd, and the Taliban was advancing rapidly through the country. Uh, and here, uh, the problem was that the Taliban was winning, and it was taking over territory left and right, absolutely left and right. Boy, I wish we had that clip from Joe Biden uh, where he assured us just, what, a month or so ago that there's no way the Taliban would take over in Afghanistan. There's no way. That's not going to happen. It's just not possible because the uh, Afghani government is so strong and the military is so strong. Remember that? You remember that? Okay, so keep that in mind as I'm telling you this. So Reuters on Tuesday released excerpts from the last phone call between Biden and Ghani before the Afghan president fled. It was a 14-minute call on July the 23rd as the Taliban advanced rapidly. Biden told his counterpart, that's uh, Ghani, uh, of a perception that the fight against the Taliban was not going well. There is a need, said the president, whether it is true or not, to project a different picture. So what? And I'm going to read the exact words in just a second. What he was saying to the president is, hey, you know what? We're, we're hearing that um, the Taliban is kind of uh, winning. 
And we can't let that be the narrative because I'm pulling the troops out. And if people knew that the Taliban were actually winning, that I would not be able to pull them out and take a victory lap and claim uh, an extraordinary success that I'm the president that ended that 20-year war. I'm giving words to this, but I will read you what he actually said, and you could tell me if you think I'm exaggerating. Let's see. I want to read the exact words. There's a lot of different spins on this. Okay, this is Joe Biden to uh, to Ghani. I need to tell you that the perception around the world and in parts of Afghanistan, I believe, is that things are not going well in terms of the fight against the Taliban, Biden said. And there is a need, whether it is true or not, there is a need to project a, a different picture. All right, so let's see. They knew, President Biden knew, that the Taliban was winning. Before they ever pulled out, the Taliban was advancing and things were going badly. Uh, But Joe Biden is trying to convince the president, who is in the financial pocket of the United States government, that's the reason, you know, I think two weeks after this call, maybe three weeks, he fled the country with lots of money. He did very well. Uh, And and Biden, all of them knew what what a corrupt person he was. President Trump actually talked about this. So I guess Biden thought it would be, you know, easy to talk to him into, you know, to lying about what was happening with the Taliban. And remember, um, let's see, John Kirby, the Pentagon spokesperson, was shocked, shocked that the Taliban, uh, that the uh, Afghani army fell, just shocked. In fact, clip 24 just reminds you of how shocked he was. Here's John Kirby. Clip 24. Jeff Shogel. Thanks. I have a question, and you it's know what? I'm sorry. The wrong I one. I gave you the it. wrong clip number. Let's do 15. Sorry, wrong Kirby. 15. Our expectation was that the Ghani government would stay in place. Nobody could have imagined how quickly that government would have literally just dissipated almost overnight. There was simply no way to predict that. No way to predict that. No way. I mean, I guess Joe Biden didn't talk to him about what was happening. They certainly didn't talk to General Milley. Let's hear that clip, too. Clip 16, quickly. There was nothing that I or anyone else saw that indicated a collapse of this army and this government in 11 days. (laughs) And they knew it all along. But Joe Biden wanted a photo op. He wanted to be the president that got us out of that war, and he sacrificed American lives, and for that... Lots of the moms and dads and families and Americans are furious. Sandy Rios in the morning. On the next Today's Issues, we'll continue to inform listeners. I don't know anybody who's ever been pulled over for driving while gay. Encourage Christians to make a difference. Our encouragement to folks is to find some help to, in a Christian way, deal with the temptation. And equip you to help restore the moral foundations of our nation. It's the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Don't miss the next Today's Issues, weekdays at 11 Eastern, 10 Central on AFR or online at AFR.net. The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training. Here's another of our core values. We believe true morality flows from biblical principles and directs people to the manner in which God intends them to live. Thank you for standing with us as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values. And we thank you for your support. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, 
and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The city lies four square, its length, width, and height all equal, 1,380 miles for each dimension. The city's wall is 216 feet high, 12 gates around the city, with each gate made of a single pearl. Streets of gold so pure, they're translucent. No need for a sun, God's glory lights the city. No tears, no pain. I wouldn't miss it for the world. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. When an unplanned pregnancy happens to a mom in crisis, preborn clinics are there. I was extremely scared. The father did not want the child, and he had made me choose him or the baby. This mother chose life after meeting with preborn counselors and seeing her baby on ultrasound. I just felt so blessed in the hand of God on me so strong. And I knew then on I was going to serve God and I was going to keep this child and I was going to love him just like God loved me so unconditionally. Preborn centers met this mom in her darkest hour, helping her to choose not only life for her baby, but life in Jesus. He was our little miracle child. God's timing was impeccable. Preborn clinics are the largest providers of free ultrasounds in America, introducing moms to their preborn babies and helping them choose life. To find out more, visit preborn.com or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Yesterday, President Biden declared an end to the war in Afghanistan and looked, as a result, to a safer, more secure future for America. In so doing, he ignored the central delusion that one side can end a war unilaterally other than by surrendering. Now, we have seen what such an ignominious surrender looks like and have a sense of how it has enriched, empowered, and emboldened our enemies in Afghanistan and elsewhere. For instance, consider the recent announcement that henceforth ships transiting China's territorial waters must get its approval to do so. Since the Chinese Communist Party asserts such waters include the South China Sea, it appears that U.S. warships, submarines, and commercial vessels would be required to register passages there, including destinations, routes, and contents, or face repercussions by the Chinese military. Hot wars have been precipitated by less. This is Frank Afney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Jeff Shogel. Thanks. I have a question, and it's difficult, but I hope you can entertain it. Uh, according to Politico, the U.S. knew where the attack would, or roughly where the attack would take place on Thursday, and when it would attack, or when it would take place. Why were there U.S. troops at that gate at that time? Jeff, um, what I can tell you is that uh, we have been monitoring as close as we can intelligence that uh, led us to believe. Uh, that we were in a very dynamic and, in, in some cases, specific uh, threat environment, um, uh, number one. Number two, uh, as General McKenzie said, we're going we're gonna to investigate. We're going to get to the bottom uh, of what happened last Thursday. Uh, Thirteen precious lives were lost. We're going to take that seriously, and we're, gonna, and we're not going to investigate it in public. Uh, number three, I am absolutely not going to speak 
to uh, a, a, a press story that was informed by the unlawful disclosure of classified information uh, and sensitive deliberations here at the Pentagon. Just not going to do it. Yeah, so he's just not going to do it. Uh, they had a leak out of the uh, into, uh, out of their whatever their circles, you know that fine <clears throat> national security apparatus we have that uh, you know the deep state, you know that one that national security deep state. They um, somebody leaked. Somebody inside was kind of upset when they found out that the military uh, under the leadership of well Milley and um, you know whoever else. I noticed that the guy who's the the CENTCOM commander. Fitz, it's Fitzgerald or Fitzsimmons, something like that, is actually in Florida. He's, you know, hanging back in Florida. I thought he looked very relaxed in one of those briefings. He looked, he didn't look too stressed to me. I don't know anything about him. Maybe he's just great. But he oversaw what happened. So he's not so great, is he? And uh, he's in Florida, after all. No danger to him, unlike Congressman Mark Wayne Mullen, who took off to go at his own expense and certainly his own risk to go save Americans because the government wouldn't do it. Oh, they claimed they did. They had, you know, it was an extraordinary success. They got out 90%, they said. Probably not true. Is, should we believe their numbers? Should we believe it when they say, say 100 to 200? Really? We're going to take them at their word? I, I kind of can't take them at their word for anything. I don't trust them on anything. And if they tell me, you know, I should have a vaccination because they care about me, I don't believe that. If I, if I question vaccinations, a shot for COVID before, I really question it now because of the way they're pushing it. You trust this regime? Do you trust this crew? Really? I'm going to get to COVID in just a second because I have a couple of updates on that. But I want to seriously ask that we pray for Mark Wayne Mullen. Uh, I know there are a lot of people stranded there. If I knew their names, I would mention them, but we can't. We can't mention them, but Congressman Mullen, uh, his wife, Clara, they've been married since 1997. They have six children, uh, and he, I think, is a freshman congressman. I think I remember his name when he was elected. Uh, I think I could be wrong about that. I'm sorry. This is all kind of fresh information, but uh, he has somehow, he got in a fight with the ambassador, and uh, all that's being reported here is that he threatened, you know, staff. Well, can you imagine? He was probably beside himself with anger that he couldn't get people out, and now he's missing. I, I just, um, I'm really concerned about that. And maybe by the, in the next 24-hour news cycle, we'll find out more things about him. But I want to remind you that this president and his administration, they knew that the Taliban was winning. They, it's an absolute lie. We know now from that phone call that they did not understand how strong the Taliban was. They didn't think for a minute that the Taliban government would stand. They knew they had a corrupt president, and they knew that he would cave. They knew that. But he, President Biden asked the president, you know, could you just kind of help us here and not, you know, not and say that, you know, your military is actually prevailing? Because I got, you know, I got, I got, I got to get, my poll numbers are going down. He didn't. I'm adding words, Okay. Let's say differently. Let's even, whether it's true or not, let's say that, you know, your forces are prevailing, okay? So we have that. Reuters has the tape. Joe Biden should be impeached. Joe Biden should be impeached. Oh, I could do a whole hour on Joe Biden and why he should be impeached, but let's just pick that one thing. 
So they knew that that was a lie the whole time they've been telling us that they were so shocked, shocked, shocked when that government fell the way it did. And they were so taken by surprise by the attack that killed 13 American servicemen, mostly Marines. They were just, they're upset. Joe Biden went, you know, to pay tribute. Oh, my goodness. Have you read the reports of how the parents and wives and siblings of these fallen soldiers feel? Uh, You can't say all of them. I don't know about all of them. I just have seen significant reports of parents and wives and sisters and others just beside themselves. They talk about how Joe Biden went in his effort to comfort, I'm using little quotes, comfort them, was not listening. He just wanted to talk about his son, Bo, and how he was, not his son, his son who was killed in the car accident. His other son who died of cancer. And universally, well, of the reports that I've read, they all said it was so inappropriate. He wouldn't, wouldn't even listen. One said, she was so mad, I was going to read her. I was going to read it, but I don't have time. But she talked about how he just uh, turned around and when she said, I'm talking about my son, and you're ignoring me. And he just waved behind him like, whatever, whatever, and walked on. And uh, you've heard the reports already is as they are bringing the bodies off of the plane and transferring them in this very solemn ceremony that they do at Dover Air Force Base. If you haven't seen it, it's just incredible that he kept looking at his watch. And they were furious about that, furious. There are lots of pictures. They said he did it every time a soldier was brought, his body was brought forth. So people are upset. Okay, so but they're really upset about that attack. And now we know that they actually knew the attack was going to take place and they did not move the Marines out. That was the question asked John Kirby. Well, why, did, why didn't you move the Why did you keep, if you knew there was going to be an attack at that gate, why did you keep our Marines there? I'm not going to talk about that. Not going to talk about that. Okay, so we also know that they handed out to the 100 and plus, 100,000 and plus Afghans that they got out of the country blank visas. Oh, valid visas. So that they, they're legal. They can stay here. It doesn't matter who they are or what they are, and we don't really know. I'm sure there's some wonderful people on those planes, but there are probably a lot of not-so-wonderful people who managed to get on, you think? And they're being flown to places like Wisconsin, Houston. Those are the only two I know for sure. But uh, you can bet it'll be red states. You can bet it will be red states. And they are wandering around in Wisconsin right now. They're not being kept on the base. They're just being released. So that administration's doing that. Um... And then we know that they refused Americans. They, they left Americans behind. But, um, you know, they're really sorry about that. And, uh, it's, but, but no, maybe not so much because John Kirby tells us that, that, that that's not, not unlike the way it is in all countries. Americans, you know, they, they're, you know, they're stranded, whatever they are. Stranded, I think that's the word he used. They're stranded in other countries. It's not, you know, not such a big deal. And you're, you're going to trust this regime, this president and these people that serve him with other things you're going to trust them when they tell you to take that shot you're going to trust them when they tell you that now you have to have the booster or and now you have to do this and do that and they're going to trust you're going to trust them when they tell you to stand six feet apart and wear a mask you're going to trust these people you know i i want to uh see 50 let's see i've got a few minutes left here because i want to go to to covid for a second and as a matter of fact uh let's uh, let's see, where is that? Um, oh, uh, it's clip uh, 23. I want to hear, uh, Jake Tapper was talking to Dr. Fauci about ivermectin because suddenly now that ivermectin is being, you know, used more and more and being more and more successful. Well, suddenly 
Dr. Fauci speaking up because we can't have that. Let's listen to clip 23. Poison control centers um, are reporting that their calls are spiking in places like Mississippi and Oklahoma uh, because some Americans are trying to use an anti-parasite horse drug called ivermectin uh, to treat coronavirus, to prevent contracting coronavirus. Um, what would you tell someone uh, who is considering taking that drug? Don't do it. There's no evidence whatsoever that that works and it could potentially have toxicity, as you've just mentioned, with people who have gone to poison control centers because they've taken the drug at a ridiculous dose and wind up getting sick. There's no clinical evidence that indicates that this works. For a long time now, I've been reading about prominent mask opponents and vaccine skeptics, talk radio hosts and other personalities, getting COVID and dying. Um, there have been a number of those reports in the last week. What goes through your mind when you see stories like those? Well, Jake, it's tragic because you don't want to see anybody, regardless of what their position is or their ideology, you don't want to see anyone get sick or die, particularly as a physician and a scientist. I do everything in my entire career to safeguard the health of people and to save lives. You know lives. what? Stop, so stop, even stop. If I can't stand it. I'm going to be Friday. Please, please be sure and listen to this show. Because I'm going to talk to you about what Dr. Fauci, how dedicated to human life he is. Well, except not baby life, because he is overseeing the carving out of baby humans and paying for it uh, in his purview uh, at the NIH. So, but he's he's dedicated his life to saving lives. Yeah, not not so much. And so, um, I want to tell you something about ivermectin because. Ivermectin has been around for like 60, 70 years. It has very few downsides. Yes, it's given to horses, uh, but it's given to people too uh, because it fights uh, these uh, uh, parasites. I think it's, it's what it is. But here's the story that's coming out of Ohio just to give you some encouragement. You know, I think a lot more people are catching COVID. I think the Delta, as they say, and we're seeing it. We're seeing it with our own eyes. Remember, I always tell you, truth is, uh, comports with reality. Reality is that a lot more people are getting COVID right now, uh, and the Delta variant seems to be, by the way, I should say before I move on to the other thing, that it's waning now. Uh, the stats across the state show that the Delta variant is waving. But meanwhile, I'm reading about all kinds of people who can't get treatment because they go to the doctor, and the doctor tells them to just stay home unless they really get worried. Uh, they don't give them any medicine because there's no treatment for COVID, you know, wink, wink. And so they go home and they get really sick and then they finally feel like they must go to the hospital and then they're put on ventilators and uh, the rest is history because they're dying. Okay, so an Ohio judge has ordered a hospital to treat a ventilated COVID-19 patient with ivermectin. Butler County judge ordered a hospital to, to give a ventilated COVID-19 patient an emergency relief uh, filed by his pa the patient's wife. Uh, he ruled last week that Westchester Hospital, part of the University of Cincinnati's health network, must immediately administer ivermectin to patient Jeffrey Smith following his doctor's prescription of 30 milligrams of ivermectin for 21 days. Smith is a vet, uh, Verizon wireless engineer in Butler County, uh, filed by his wife on July 9th. He was admitted to the hospital the same day. He was moved to intensive care. His, his condition continued to decline. He was placed on a ventilator. Uh, by August 19th, uh, let's just say his chances of survival dropped to less than 30%. 
And so she said, uh, she went to all, you know, she sounds like me. What? When my husband was in the hospital, you fight for your loved one, and you're going to need to do that now. So she goes, and she gets, uh, is able to get ivermectin from Dr. Fred Wogsul, uh, who, provi- who prescribed it, but the hospital refused to give it. And now they must. Now, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if ivermectin will save him, but I've heard story after story about how it has, and I saw it as it saved my husband's life and made me well from my COVID, okay? So, but heavens, Dr. Fauci wouldn't want you to have that, maybe because he is so corrupt. I want to read something else to you to just remind you of who he is. This is in, um, this is in the blaze. Um, let's see. Dr. Fauci is the highest paid government worker on the planet, and he's been at his business since, what, 1984? Uh, he is responsible under his administration for his purview, his responsibilities, for doling out nearly $3 billion annually in federal tax dollars to research scientists. Uh, and they decide which therapies, vaccines, diagnostic tests, and all of that. He's the longest-serving head of NAID, and... Uh, so uh, they're another person who's like his uh, his helper. Dr. Jeremy Farrar is the director of mega charity known as Welcome Trust, and they have a total disbursement budget of over $11 billion. So anybody in the medical field that wants to get money for research or do whatever has to kind of uh, dance to the tune of the piper. I know this. Uh, that would require a longer conversation, but I want you to know that. Dr. Fauci is up to his very large ears, I believe, in corruption. Uh, it has to be proven. Somebody has to go after him. I'm not sure. I guess the Biden uh, uh, Justice Department might not be getting around to that. But meanwhile, they're trying to stop, you know, slander ivermectin. They've already slandered hydroxychloroquine. and But they're telling you you need to get a booster shot for a failed vaccine that only has something like 43% success rate. Okay, there you go. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.